0: Welcome back. Happy July 8th, 2021. Well, now it makes sense why we haven't heard of the name of the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. She, white and Trump supporter unarmed, shot dead on January 6th. The only fatality in this violent or fatal insurrection, as the media and the Democrats keep announcing it, By the way, insurrection is a literal federal crime. It's codified in Title 18 of the United States Code, Section 2383, and it reads, Whoever incites, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than ten years or both and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Close quote. Guess how many protesters or rioters on January 6th have been arrested or charged with insurrection? Zero, zero, zero. Zero. That's right. Former attorney generals here in Arizona can write of the thousands who stormed the Capitol violently armed to try to overthrow the government. There weren't a thousand people who went into the Capitol that day and not a single firearm or knife was confiscated. The only gun used was the one used to kill Ashley Babbitt, white Trump supporter, unarmed. The current U.S. Attorney General of the United States, yes, U.S. Attorney General said, quote, I have not seen a more dangerous threat to democracy than the invasion of. Of the Capitol. he called the assault quote an attempt to interfere with the fundamental element of our democracy a peaceful transfer of power close quote I wonder where he was on 9 eleven wonder if he ever studied what Franklin Roosevelt did or Woodrow Wilson both in rounding up people based on race or politics fundamental element of our fundamental element of our Democracy was interfered with, so much so that the House had to recess for something like maybe five hours. They were back at work that night. The two most common charges against those arrested and detained for January 6th are trespassing and disorderly conduct. Both misdemeanors, meaning less than six months in jail. There are no felony charges against the vast bulk of the 400-plus people who have been charged with committing a crime that day. But back to Ashley Babbitt's killer. If I may recall, this is an unarmed woman shot from behind. If Ashley were black or liberal left, her name would be everywhere. People, in fact, would be shouting, say her name. The person who shot her would have been suspended, fired, or urged to resign and would be facing felony homicide charges right now. And his name would be everywhere, as Derek Chauvin's was. You might even see attorneys for Ashley holding daily press conferences that the cable news media would break into programming so as to cover. You'd probably have Kamala Harris visit the family. Joe Biden certainly would call them. But Ashley was the wrong kind of victim in the wrong time of our history. Someone forgot to teach Ashley in grade school that you have to be of the right race to get the same recognition rights and privileges as others when it comes to your assassination. And if you are white, that is not going to do it. Justice John Marshall Harlan, it turns out, was wrong. There is a caste system here, and it will turn us into a failed and tribalistic anarchy if we don't stop it. Even as well-informed of as our cultural caste system that the left has erected is, and as well-informed about it as I am, I was continually surprised over the blasé attitude taken over Ashley Babbitt's shooting. Time was, even the guilty of the most egregious of crimes had liberal defenders, be they right-wingers like Randy Weaver or. Murderers like the Tyson brothers here. Jerry Spence represented the first, Alan Dershowitz the second. All that's changed. Civil liberties and uniform, consistent application, of single standards of law have been defenestrated by the left in America. First, it took over the ACLU, replacing the mission of defending civil liberties of any party so as to only defend the notion of equity and diversity. Not enough colleges, I guess, to do that. Surprised as I was, reading this morning made it all the more clear to me. Guess who the number one suspected gunman was that day on January 6th? Guess who the person is people see the most evidence for having shot Ashley Babbitt to death? Paul Sperry at Real Clear Investigations has the goods, the details, the facts, and the quotes. And it very much looks like a Capitol Police officer named Michael Byrd. The one thing about Michael Byrd I would almost never mention or notice, except for the odd and fractious and nonsense-making case of Ashley Babbitt's death, the one thing that's perhaps explanatory here is that Michael Byrd is a black man. A black officer shooting a white Trump supporter? Of course, that counters the entire narrative of the entirety of last year, certainly last summer. White cops shooting black innocents. And just as last summer needs to be forgotten... Never mentioned, never brought up, memory hold, so too does Ashley Babbitt's death and her assailant, or I should say her life, because that's what's being discounted here. Meanwhile, people who are sitting in jail in D.C. and Virginia for six months plus, who have been charged with nothing more than misdemeanor trespass, get the cold shoulder and ignored as well. Every law student at every D.C. law school from Georgetown to American University to the D.C. College of Law ought to be volunteering to defend these incarcerates based on the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments, seeking their release under habeas corpus or some other civil liberty argument. Each of these law schools has free clinics made up of students who do that for every other kind of criminal, including cop killers. But again... White and supportive of Trump, no civil liberties for you. No justice for you. Yeah, the soup Nazi analogy is apt here and not because of the word soup. As Paul Sperry notes, in February, U.S. Capitol Police issued a press release promising to, quote, share additional information once the investigation is complete, close quote. But Justice Department investigators closed their probe in April, clearing officer of criminal wrongdoing in Babbitt's death, which the medical examiner ruled a homicide. And last month, the D.C. police, which shares jurisdiction with the Capitol Police, concluded its own internal review of the shooting without making any findings, according to spokesman Kriskin and Metzger. Still, United States Capitol Police continues quote-unquote stonewalling the public, according to the head of the police union, stonewalling the public on an insurrection I suppose people will do what people will do. Do recall that was a legitimate justification for rioting and rioters who intimidated intimidated the Baltimore police enough so that they had to flee the scene. They were dispatched to protect while buildings and statues were defaced and destroyed. That was the justification of Nancy Pelosi's last year when asked about it. People will do what people will do. How about this scene? I'm reading directly. From the AP, quote, after a night of chaotic clashes between police and protesters, violence erupted again in D.C.'s downtown, about five blocks from a presidential parade route. Dozens of protesters, some self-described anarchists dressed in black, wearing masks, damaged businesses starting at 1030 a.m. just before the president's ceremony for swearing in got underway. Authorities arrested 95 people, some charged with rioting, not trespass, rioting. In the Franklin Park area, and acting police chief, Peter Newsom, said there was, quote, significant damage to several businesses. Two police officers suffered injuries as protesters threw bricks, trash cans and other objects and ignited small fires. Despite the arrest, the demonstrations continued through the afternoon and police used pepper spray and flashbang grenades to hold back the crowds, refusing to let people closer to the parade route. 5,000 National Guard members had to be brought in to quell the rioting, close quote. That wasn't January 6, 2011, or Inauguration Day 2021. It wasn't January 6, 2021. I'm sorry, that wasn't January 26, 2021, or Inauguration Day 2021. That was January 18th, 2017, the day of Donald Trump's inauguration, where the police had to use pepper spray and flashbang grenades to hold back rioters. Is that an interruption with the peaceful transition of power? Guess what? Six people were acquitted, and the Trump Justice Department, you know, the one riding roughshod, over civil liberties and tyrannizing America, as Ilan Omar put it. Six were acquitted, and the rest, over 200, had their charges dropped, again, by the Trump Justice Department, which doesn't believe in civil liberties or civil rights. Dropped all the charges. That, by the way, was not considered an insurrection. The wrongs there against Republicans, cops, and Donald Trump Were watered down, diminished, reduced, even ignored by the mainstream press and, of course, the Democrats, to the point where they are now sufficiently memory-hold. And by watering down, diminishing, and reducing the death of Ashley Babbitt, we are watering down, diminishing, and reducing the importance of violence, death, life, and homicide. By saying certain lives don't matter as much as others, or don't matter, we say certain deaths don't matter, and thus certain wrongs. Don't matter. Join the party, obtain a get out of murder free card, join the right race an impossibility, obviously, going to the nature of the wrong of judging people by race. And you obtain a get out of rioting free card as well. But be white, be Republican and rights and wrongs don't matter as much. You assume the risk for being an enemy of the state. Many of us know that term from Henrik Ibsen, some know it from Shakespeare's Coriolanus, but it has a far worse pedigree, as the folks at Wikipedia point out. The term enemy of the people or enemy of the nation is a designation for the political or class opponents of the subgroup in power within a larger group. The term implies that by opposing the ruling subgroup, the enemies in question are acting against the larger group, for example, against society as a whole. It is similar to the notion of enemy of the state from Roman times, hostus publicus, typically translated as public enemy. The term in its enemy of the people form has been used for centuries. The Soviet Union made extensive use of the term in the 50s, notably by Stalin. It is routinely used by authoritarian leaders. The concept has wide-ranging use, usually used by left-wing tyrannies and authoritarians. It let the USSR criminalize dissent. And regarding the Nazi plan to relocate all Jews to Madagascar, the Nazi tabloid Der Stürmer wrote, quote, The Jews don't want to go to Madagascar. They cannot bear the climate. Jews are pests and disseminators of diseases in whatever country they settle and spread themselves out. They produce the same effects as are produced in the human body by germs. In former times, sane people and sane leaders of the people made short shrift of the enemies of the people. They had them expelled or killed, close quote. That's what the Nazis thought was sanity. Now, what do you say about those who identify racial group habits or predilections as based on color, as Raytheon, Koch, and the Smithsonian have tried to do by urging whites to be less white and detailing to others the characteristics of of white and black races when it comes to everything from work to play to family formation to religious belief. What an enemy of the people by Ebsen is the great discovery by the truth teller at the end? Do you remember? It's that the strongest man in the world is he who stands most alone. Or as Shakespeare put it in Coriolanus, do not dive voluptuously of surfeit when it comes to the defense of your country. Well, there's a lot of surfeit right now of all the wrong things, particularly a surfeit of Marxist-Leninism and idiocy. It starts with aping Marxist-Leninism and policy. It ends with its acceptance. That's why we're here, to avoid those ends, ideally, by informing you. Of their beginnings. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 6025080960. <clears> Brooke Rollins, who the head of uh, American First, is going to be our guest in the next hour. She is one of the plaintiffs, co-plaintiffs with Donald Trump, suing social media. She'll tell us all about that lawsuit and um, not only the merits, but how we can rein in the tyranny of social media, which we all really do very much rely upon. By the way, has anyone used that new application, Getter G E D? TTR, which was discussed last week and started by Aaron Miller of the Trump organization. This was going to be a new and improved Twitter, except without the censorship. Has anyone used it? Has anyone tried it? I believe it debuted on Sunday. I've read a few reviews of it, haven't signed on to it yet myself because the reviews of it Uh, look um, like it may not quite be ready for prime time. But if I'm wrong about that and I want to be wrong, please do let me know. All right. Did you know this was going on? I didn't know this was going on. Holy smokes. You knew that there was a transgender man in the weightlifting competition. For the Olympics. Right. I, I let let me let me do that. I, let me make, make sure I have it right. Let me say it again. Excuse me. It's a transgender woman who is in the Olympics weightlifting competition who is qualified for the Olympics weightlifting competition. Transgender woman. Just so you know, when you say transgender and then follow it with male or female, that means they transitioned to that. So a transition, a transgender woman is someone who was born a man. Now we have another transgender woman who um, is on the BMX uh, bicycle riding team, Team USA, and her name is Chelsea Wolf, 28 years old, Florida native. Uh, She tweeted she wanted to compete in the Olympics so that she could, quote, burn a U.S. flag on the podium. Wants to be in the Olympics to do that. Not to win, not to represent the United States, but to condemn it on the world stage. People are asking, wasn't this supposed to be, you know, against the rules of the Olympics, these kinds of political statements? And the answer is yes. There is a Rule 50 of the, Olympic, of the, um, of the Olympics, which bans uh, political expression by athletes. And in fact, an addendum to that by the Olympic Committee on Rule 50's charter includes those political statements include kneeling and raising a fist and wearing of armbands, turning your back on your national anthem. These are all included in the Olympics charter, which bans political expression. Let me tell you how they're trying to get around that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, six zero two five five zero eight zero nine six zero. 960 Rule 50 of the Olympic Charter forbids political expression by Olympic athletes, that includes not just speech but expression from armbands to kneeling to turning your backs on your flag or any flag, particularly um, the um, athletes that are bragging about using um, the opportunity to burn the American flag, as uh, one of these athletes uh, just uh, said uh, she wanted to do, Chelsea Wolfe on the BMX team. Let me come back to that in a moment as I first go to John Dombrowski, who has our culture and economy update. His company, Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com, is his website, and his radio show is here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. on 960 a.m. It is called The Word on Wealth. John, how are you? Happy Thursday.
1: Fantastic. Thanks, Seth.
0: All right, what do I need to know? The stock market looks like it's all red today.
1: Yeah, we had a little pullback today. A no. couple of interesting things occurred. Um, we had, of course, uh, Japan making an announcement that they're going to be um, canceling any type of uh, people to be able to be in the stadiums during the Olympics, mm-hmm. which uh, they're concerned about the uh, COVID-19, of course, the new strain of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um and that's an unfortunate scenario, so it seems to be a little bit of a hiccup, wondering if the if the economy, the world economy, is, is certainly going to be on track. Of course, the U.S. economy seems very healthy at the moment here. But we did see um, a little bit of a sell-off in the markets today because of this. And I also saw, uh, you know, usually when we see a sell-off in stocks, we see people flo- flowing into bonds, and we did see that in interest rates, the 10-year Treasury dropping below 1.3% for a short period of time today, which pretty significant drop over the past month we've seen uh, for that 10-year Treasury. Just telling us again, maybe that people are still a little bit concerned, not quite sure if this is, uh, you know, in a full recovery at this point yet or not.
0: Thanks, John. Yeah, that Japan, the, that Japan story is kind of interesting. I was trying to read up On Why the Japanese were having such a hard time with vaccinations. And it turns out a lot of it has to do with the laws in Japan, uh, as well as uh, as well as the way they do distribution. I don't know that this will be overcome at all. Uh, but, I have to tell you, and you may not agree, and you don 't have to express your opinion i 'm increasingly unhappy with the Olympics. seems like every four years I like them less and less, and i didn 't quite love them to begin with but john that that doesn 't require that doesn 't require uh, everyone 's opinion if it 's enough to move the markets, uh, then obviously uh, that affects everyone 's uh, income and everyone 's retirements. New jobless claims uh seem to be holding uh holding pretty low too right that's a good yeah,
1: sign yeah and I, I do think that we we here in this country, Seth, I believe are probably going to lead uh, the rest of the world out of this i do too I just just as you know we do with most things yeah. um and, and again if we even though we're having all of this uh just, you know, the unusual scenario of more jobs available with all these people, yet with high unemployment still. Uh, little by little, we are starting to see these jobs being filled. The challenge, though, Seth, is, is that there's a lot of people who want to work from home, right? Yeah. They've had this opportunity, the taste of not going to an office every day. And I did hear a comment this morning on one of the channels, which I thought was rather interesting. Hey, if I want to go out to dinner or go get a taco somewhere and, Uh, You know, I got to have someone there to serve that taco to that to that person. You know, it's not as if this is a technology job, and so people do have to go back to work. We're not going to be able to run this country uh, with everybody sitting at home in their living room and working from home remotely. It's just not going to work. We have to have bodies back out there uh, working with companies, and I think there's going to be some definitely a hybrid for a lot of companies, allowing people to maybe work you know, part-time in an office and part-time from home. But there's a lot of companies out there that really do believe they need to get people back to the to the office to really complete the mission of whatever that company
0: is. Yeah, I, what I don't want is a new normal where service just, you know, basically yeah. stinks, and we have to get used to it, right?
1: Yeah, we want to be able to talk face-to-face yeah. with people sometimes. Yeah. It just is easier than having to do everything via phone or Internet.
0: You betcha. Thank you, John.
1: You bet. Securities and Advisory Services offer the Client 1 Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, and and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and, and Client 1 Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank we you so much, you.
0: Seth. Thank you, John. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 6025080960. Uh, Johnny Carson, you ever watch old. Johnny Carson Tonight Show shows, he had a pencil he tapped. And it was a specially made pencil form. It had an eraser on either side, on both sides of it. There was no lead. Do you know why? So he wouldn't stick himself, stab himself, which I just did. That's what made me think of it. And I thought, "Mm, okay, that's why Johnny Carson made the big bucks. And um, anyway, I was trying to explain uh, earlier how... Progressives are trying to get a, around Rule 50 of the Olympic Charter, which bans political expression. I was doing it in, um, in in response to learning about a transgender woman, a now second one that I know of in the Olympics, qualifying for the Olympics, who said she wanted to burn a U.S. flag on the podium if she, uh, if she were to win. And while this would normally be banned, as would kneeling or turning your back on your flag or your national anthem, you have people like Casey Wasserman. Are you familiar with Casey Wasserman, chairman of uh, the 2028 Olympic uh, Committee for Los Angeles? And liberal, uh, he said, I don't believe anti-racist speech is political speech. I believe it is a political standard we all need to be operating on. You do understand this is a very subtle shift I want people to be attuned to. This is how you engage in censorship. This is how you engage in making people persona non grata or unter You take their totally legitimate political point. Why do I say totally legitimate? Because it's the kind of point, kind of discussion, kind of debate that would happen almost any day in the House of Representatives of the United States or any state legislature for that matter. You take a political point and you label it racist or white supremacist. And then you say, well, it's not politics I'm expressing. It's just anti-racism. Now, you lay that predicate. You lay that predicate down. You got to nurture it for a while. You got to nurture it because you can't go immediately from uh, I don't like Republicans to tax cuts are emblems of white supremacy. You 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 need to you need to let that mature a little bit. You need to let that ripen a little bit. You need to plant some seeds and some flags into the American lexicon. You can't just make that leap immediately. So that's why you didn't hear right after right right on January sixth or right after the days after, you didn't hear that this was a white supremacist attack. You didn't hear that. That came later. That was people On the Democratic side, putting their finger in the air and thinking, how can we marginalize our opposition, the entire Republican Party, based on the irrational and erratic acts of something like eight tenths of one percent of Trump supporters? That is to say, those who engaged in rioting on January 6th. Well, let's call them white supremacists based on. No evidence whatsoever that this was done in the name of white supremacy. Indeed, it's a hard thing for the Democrats to keep pushing when you think about the fact that one of the groups they say were the ringleaders of the quote-unquote violent insurrection were the Proud Boys, the leadership of which is an African-Cuban. Hard to make this a white supremacist activity when an African-Cuban is the leader of the main group who sponsored the attack or planned it, as the Democrats have it. But as you know, the notion that race is immutable is no longer true with the Democrats because as we are coming to learn, if you don't vote Democrat, you aren't black. That was not a slip of the tongue as it turns out. Larry Elder, Thomas Sowell, Candace Owens, they do not represent the black community. Ayanna Presley, a member of the squad and a U.S. Congresswoman from Massachusetts, has said as much that she has, as Cori Bush has said, no use for persons of color who do not represent the minority perspective. Why is there such a thing as a minority perspective that... Individuals who may be con- con- constant, who have constant, to have of that minority, don't get a say on. Why is there a minority perspective that ab initio excludes someone like Larry Elder or Candace Owens from contributing to it? Because there is an overarching party line that has been predetermined, and race has been grafted. On to it. It has nothing to do with race. In fact, if it had to do with race, again, from the beginning when all blacks were Republicans, you would think that that would be the minority perspective. But it isn't. It isn't. And it's fundamentally interesting to me because we hear all the time, all the time, that when we speak of Who's the spokesman for the African American community, or who's the spokesman for the Jewish community, or who's the spokesman for X community? We are told by those communities again and again and again that we are not a monolith. There is not one spokesman. You cannot attribute one man's statements to the entire community or one woman's statements to the entire community. Okay, okay. Then where is the credibility? or the credence for the conservative perspective of certain minority spokesmen. Why does Alan West not get a say on what the minority community in America should want or desire? Why does not Shelby Steele get a say? Why does not Glenn Lowry get a say? Why does not Ben Carson get a say? It's not because they're any less black or any more white. It's because they don't think right. Again, Another badge, and emblem of Stalinism and Khrushchevism in the 40s and 50s in the Soviet Union and Brezhnevism in the 60s, excuse me, in the 70s. When, if you didn't think rightly, if you didn't toe the party line, you were thought of as persona non grata, less than because psychologically disturbed. Just as you have Yale psychiatric professors, not even psychology, psychiatric professors writing books claiming that people they have never met, like the president and other Republican supporters, supporters of his, are mentally disturbed. Be very, 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 very careful with this abuse of science. Be very, very, very careful with this abuse of psychiatry. Be very, very careful with the abuse of... Of medicine, it was not something I thought could happen here. And then I read something really interesting from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which I'll tell you about when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. One of the great questions in political science, uh, political theory international relations, even, um, over the 70s and 80s. It started in the 60s, but particularly in the 70s and 80s, was the question of whether fascism, tyranny, whether any of that could happen here. And most patriots... Said no. Most Americans said no because of the strength of our institutions and our constitution. And I think we were wrong. And reading Alexander Solzhenitsyn showed me why, in volume three of his Gulag Archipelago, he writes this. If it were possible for any nation to fathom another people's bitter experience, how much easier its future fate would become and how many calamities and mistakes it could avoid. But it is very difficult, for there is always this fallacious belief it could not happen here. Here such things are impossible. Alas, all the evil of the 20th century is indeed possible everywhere on earth. Take it from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I did, and it woke me up, because it certainly was possible, and it certainly is possible, and we're certainly seeing it today. When you see one major party blithely turning a deaf ear, a blind eye, and a cold heart to socialism in its own ranks and declared Marxists within its own ranks, then you are in the midst of a corrupt political party if you live if you operate in America the Constitution very very literally in article four says that it was meant to protect the states in having a republican form of government the Constitution is not nor is excuse me not neutral as to what form of government We should be able to have here or that 51 percent of this country can determine we are guaranteed, insured and protected to have a Republican form of government. That's what the Constitution guarantees. That's what the Constitution says. That's what people who have worn the American flag have been fighting for. And so you ask yourself, well, how is it possible? How is it possible That we can be messing around with the forms of government, the very forms of government we defeated, be they Nazism or communism. It's really quite easy. It's really quite easy. Call the other guys Nazis and tyrants, one. Two, take a page from the Marxist playbook and instead of an economic war, create a race one. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.